listening to an extra shot episode on the Project Zion podcast, a shorter episode that lets you get your Project Zion fix in between our full-length episodes. It might be shorter time-wise, but hopefully not in content. So regardless of the temperature at which you prefer your caffeine, sit back and enjoy this extra shot. Coffee Connect listeners, my name is Linda Booth, and I host this podcast, and I love stories. I collect stories of how God interacts with ordinary people. For me, each story is a modern-day scripture. It's holy. It's inspiring. It's transforming. For just as the Bible speaks in many voices and tries to capture in words people's divine encounters with God— People today also attempt to articulate their divine experiences. Some of their stories are complex, others simply revealed God was there. God continues to reach out to people today. And if we pay attention, God is all around us in nature and the city, in joy and sorrow, in the ordinary and sublime in the quiet and roar of life. And when I'm intentionally paying attention, God is there and I don't have to search far. The first story I'm going to tell you about is about a woman that I saw. Well, I didn't really see her. You'll understand what I mean. Several years ago, I attended a large reunion or family camp at Graceland University. There were about 300 people gathered in the commons area to register, and as I walked toward the table to find my name tag and room assignment, I passed behind a woman sitting at a table talking with a small group of people. As I approached her, I slowed to see tattoos that covered her body from the base of her hairline across her shoulders, uh, down her back as far as I could see, and down her arms. Now, these weren't your typical black and green tattoos. They were technicolor works of art, mystical creatures in vibrant greens, reds, blues, purples, oranges, and yellows. As I passed her, trying not to be too conspicuous, I thought, who invited this woman to this reunion? I looked for her during the week, but I couldn't find her, perhaps because I'd only seen her tattoos. And I hadn't looked at her face. Near the end of the week, during a morning devotion, the tattooed woman stood before us to share her story. She had been raised by a single mother who kicked her out of their apartment when she was 15, and her mother's boyfriends began to pay more attention to her. At first, she stayed in the homes of high school friends, and when she wore out her welcome, she ended up on the streets engaged in destructive behaviors, and was arrested. A community of Christ woman visited the city jail. The tattooed young woman said she ignored her because this Christian woman shared stories about Jesus and prayed with the women. The tattooed woman didn't want to hear, so she said she stood in the corner with her back to the visiting minister. 
Now, the only way the judge would allow her to be released from jail was for her to go to a halfway house run by the woman minister. The girl wasn't pleased, but was her only ticket out of jail. In Marcia's home, this young woman began to feel the hardness of her heart soften. She began to listen as Marcia told faith stories. She let Marcia pray for and eventually with her. Marcia invited her to a community of Christ congregation where people loved her unconditionally, accepted her despite what she had done, and invited her to follow Christ in the waters of baptism, which she did. And then this beautiful young woman began to sing her story of God's marvelous love for the world. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. As her rich alto voice shared her story of God's amazing grace in her life, the congregation saw Jesus reflected in her. Grace flowed freely as her story merged with ours and connected in powerful ways. So here's another connection. How people's stories intersect and how they become sacred stories. This is a story about a man named Earl. I was invited to preach in a congregation in rural Mississippi, and the sanctuary was packed. As I made my way to the front, I stopped to talk with an elderly gentleman in a wheelchair. He introduced himself this way. I'm the newest member of this congregation, and I'm 93. (laughs) I asked him, do you have family you attend here? Because I wondered about Earl's recent baptism and how he was connected to this community. No, he said, "I I don't have any family. These folks are my family. Of course, I wanted to hear Earl's story. The pastor of the congregation, Stephen, was picking up a prescription from the pharmacy on his way home from work. And the pharmacist asked him if he would be driving past a particular road on his way home. Now, this is a rural community. This could never happen where I live in Lee Summit, Missouri. When Stephen said he would take the prescription, the pharmacist enlisted him to deliver it to Earl's home. And he explained that Earl was homebound and had trouble getting his medicines. So Stephen agreed to help. When Stephen knocked on the door of the small home, Earl warmly greeted him and invited him to come on in. And Stephen was shocked and then greatly concerned about the conditions of Earl's home. The smell of mold was overpowering. He could see black mold on sun walls near the ceiling. The interior didn't look like it had been cleaned in years. Now, some members of the congregation participated in what they called Neighbors Saturday, and different crews would gather several Saturdays a month to help neighbors who are church members, friends, and strangers in need. So Stephen asked Earl if he and some members from his congregation could come by the next Saturday to help, and Earl agreed and expressed great gratitude. Well, the next Saturday, three couples entered Earl's home. 
They discovered Earl's roof had never been repaired after Hurricane Katrina. It leaked. The clothes in his closet were wet and moldy, and the list of needed repairs was long. They got busy. One woman took Earl's clothes to a laundromat to wash and dry them. Others started cleaning his home. And one man made a detailed list of needed repairs to make Earl's home safe and comfortable. Perhaps the most important thing they did that day was to sit and talk with Earl. They listened to his story. It was obvious he didn't have many visitors. He told them all his family were dead or had moved away. The congregation's members promised Earl they would be back the next Saturday. They ended the day, hands linked in a circle, thanking God for Earl's life and praying for him. People arrived at Earl's house on the next Saturday and Saturdays thereafter and during the week, and they replaced the roof. They delivered food. They stopped to visit. They came by to pick him up for church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday morning evenings, and they all prayed with Earl. And as a result of a congregation witnessing to and loving an elderly man, Earl became the newest member of their church family. Since his baptism, there have been many newest members because this congregation's disciples are vibrant witnesses of Jesus Christ. And so my last story about connections is about Aubrey, Chris, and Hillary. After the Tri-City Congregation in, let's see, Kentucky, sold its church building and moved into a commercial building in Mayfield, Kentucky, to be closer to the children who attended Peace Club, I was invited to come and see their new church home. I arrived on a Friday, and after dinner with Kathy and John, we drove to the new building where about 40 children were gathered to meet with me. And I shared a little bit about why I follow Jesus. And then I asked those children why they follow Jesus. And many of their answers were a surprise to me because they were so profound. One little girl named Audrey, uh, about a five-year-old with auburn hair and a sprinkle of freckles across the bridge of her nose, she raised her hand and answered, I follow Jesus because I love him so very much. Saturday evening brought a cookout at the pastor's farm. There were hot dogs and marshmallows roasted on a bonfire, hay rides and fellowship, hay bells circled the fire, and I saw Aubrey standing next to a tall, thin man with blonde hair and a red baseball cap turned to the side of his head. And as he reached to take Aubrey's hand, I realized he must be her father. I went to them and I introduced myself to Chris, her father, and I told him how special I thought Aubrey was. I repeated her answer about why she followed Jesus Christ, and he smiled. He obviously was pleased. I asked him to tell me his story, and he did. Chris was raised in the St. Louis, Missouri area by parents who made and sold drugs. And because he hated this lifestyle, he saved enough money to buy a bus ticket that took him to Mayfield, Kentucky. 
There he got a job in a candle factory, and he met a young woman named Hillary. They moved in together. And when Aubrey was born, Chris and Hillary decided they wanted a better life for her. Hillary had occasionally gone to church when she was a child, and they decided they wanted Aubrey to know about God and Jesus. They started attending a Bible church near their apartment, and they liked it there. They liked hearing the Bible stories of Jesus. Uh, they bought a children's Bible for Aubrey, and they began to read it in to her each night before bed. One Sunday, the preacher asked them to stand up where they were sitting in the midst of the congregation. And he pointed at them and he told them that because they weren't married, they were living in sin. And if they didn't change their ways, he said, they and their daughter would go to hell. Chris and Hillary took their daughter's hands and they left the building never to return. Hillary got a new job at a donut shop. Each Sunday, John would come in to buy dozens and dozens of donuts for all the children attending the Mayfield Community of Christ. Each Sunday, he talked with Hillary. He'd ask about her family. He learned about Aubrey, and he saw her photo on Hillary's phone, and he invited Aubrey to Peace Club, something that they did there. And that's how the church grew, because of the Children's Peace Club. Because John was so kind Chris and Hillary decided to give Peace Club a chance. And Chris told me, they were all so kind. We've been attending church here every Sunday for a while now. We love this church. And guess what? Hillary and I got married right here. The church bought, even bought our wedding dress. This is the church we have always looked for. So my friends, you see, People are looking, they're searching for, they're needing and yearning for a good friend, someone who will connect with them, who will listen to their story and join their story together. And so you go out, please, and share your story with others and ask others about their stories. As we listen together, we do become friends. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.